following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. You don't have to answer this, but I just want you to think in your head, like, you ever run out of gas in the car? I've never run out of gas. I've been close a couple times. The last time it was a good Friday and we were coming back from Aaron's parents' house and we, we knew that like the gas light came on and we were getting really low and we were like, okay, there's an exit up here that has gas, like the sign. So we pull out on the exit and there's nothing there. And it says like gas 10 miles this way. And you look down at the little gas gauge, it says how much you got to go and it says 11 miles. You're going, and so we're, we're driving through and we hit the tops of hills and I pull off the gas and try to coast it. I don't know if that helps at all, but it feels like it should, so I do it. Right, and we pull into this gas station and just barely make it. And so we fill up with gas and we're on our way. But, but what's important about that story is what got us to that point. See, I knew we were low on gas and we had to make a stop. So we stopped in this, this town and I think we had to get some groceries for when we got home. Uh, and I think Aaron and I stopped and got some coffee or something. And all the time I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And then we're gonna, we're gonna get gas and then we'll be on the road. And our kids were super little at the time. So we're getting groceries. We're trying to get stuff packed up. We're trying to make sure we got everything we have. And I'm trying to get, we're trying to get the kids situated and calm down. And we're trying to leave. It's, it's Black Friday, right? And so, uh, so the, it's just crazy outside. And I'm looking around at traffic, trying to make sure everything's good. And we're 10 miles down the road. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I was supposed to get gas. And that's when the trouble starts. See, I was so focused on everything around me that I missed what was right in front of me. I was so focused on what was going on out there and what was going on back here that I missed what I knew was right in front of me. We can get so focused on the things that are out there that we miss what's going on in here. Paul's written this letter to Timothy. And, and as we've seen over the last 10 or 11 weeks that, that he has continued to encourage Timothy to build a strong, bright, vibrant flame that stands firm in the truth of sound doctrine that stands strong against heresy, that stands lovingly in service to the kingdom of God. But as he concludes this letter, his final remarks to his young protege, Timothy, Paul gives a final call that leads Timothy and in turn leads us forward in applying the work of the flame, not just out there, but in the body of Christ. And so the question we have to ask ourselves before we get to this passage is, is our flame prepared to shine its kingdom purpose, not just out there, but in here? Okay, in today's context, we'll see how Paul teaches Timothy to shine that light within the body of Christ. And from there, it will move out. But he says, Timothy, is it shining within the body of Christ? And from this, we will learn how we too shine our light among the family of God. And the first lesson, the first instruction to Timothy in this, in this thought is this. He says, serve those in need. He teaches Timothy to serve those in need. Verses uh, nine through 13, Paul writes, make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and he has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. 
He says, serve those in need. What does Paul do right at the outset of this? He calls Timothy to come to him. He says, Timothy, come. Why does he want Timothy to come to him? Because he needs help. Remember where Timothy is at this point? He's in prison. He's on trial for his faith. And so he can't do a lot of things for himself. So he says, okay, Timothy, come. Some people have deserted me. I've been left here. Now, I need your help. Come. And he says to bring three things. He says, bring Mark, bring my coat, and bring the scrolls and parchments. Okay, Mark was a, was a, a helpful and faithful kingdom co-worker. He says, bring somebody who can help me, who can stay with me, who can help me. Then he says, bring my coat. He's thinking ahead. Winter is coming. He's looking at, and we're going to see this in a few more verses. He's going to say, it's, we're getting close to winter. I'm going to need a coat. He's in prison. He didn't bring it with So he says, bring my coat. And then he says, bring the scrolls and especially the parchments. Now, what are the scrolls and the parchments? The biblical answer? I don't know. We we really don't know. It's not clearly laid out in any way, shape, or form what it is. Now, when you put it in context of the first century and you want to take a guess, it's probably the the scrolls are scripture. It's, It's his copies of scripture that he has. Those were very rare in that day because you had to hand copy everything. So bring the scrolls and he says parchments, which may have been his own paper to write on. All of that's speculation. But the point of it is this. He says, Timothy, come to me and bring some help. Bring help. Some people have deserted me and I need you to take care of some things that I can't take care of myself. How often do we come back to this one idea that the Christian faith is not about you? How many times have you heard Pastor Ron and I say, the Christian faith is not about you? And the reason we do that is not because it's some pet topic of of Pastor Ron and myself. The reason we come back to it often is because scripture calls us to this often. Scripture points this out often. I had a seminary professor who always said, if God says something once, it's true. If he says it twice, it's really important. If he says it three times, you better listen. And God calls us to this serving of others, not serving ourselves, but serving others over and over and over again in scripture. In in Proverbs 19, verse 17, it says, kindness to the poor is a loan to God and he will give a reward to the lender. Galatians 5, 13 says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that's selfishness, that's for my gain, but serve one another through love. First Peter 4.10 says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And we could go on and on and on and on where God says, this is not about you, serve others. Love God, serve others, right? Love God, serve others. If you want a hot, bright, blazing fire of your faith that shines in every single aspect of your life, if you want to feel that heat radiating out of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, then use it to serve others. You want a dead faith? Focus on yourself. You want a cold faith? Make it about you. Make it about what others should do for you, how others should meet your needs, how others should be there for you. I guarantee you will have a cold faith that nobody cares about and nobody wants to hear about and nobody will ever be drawn to. But if we want a hot faith, we want a fire that burns, 
We look to love and serve others, to serve those in need, to serve those in their need. After our commitment to the Lord, where do we look first and foremost in our lives? What's the focus of our lives? After our commitment to the Lord, do we look to the needs of others? Do we look to serve others? A faithful flame serves those in need. Second, Paul is going to continue. Now he's going to instruct Timothy. Yes, serve those in need. But second, he's going to say, protect those in danger. Protect those in danger. Just verses 14 and 15. He's just called Timothy. Hey, Timothy, come, bring Mark, bring my coat, bring the scrolls and parchments. And then he shifts gears. He says, Alexander, the coopersmith, uh, coppersmith, sorry. Alexander, the coppersmith, uh, did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him. Right? Watch out for him. He says, watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. Protect those in danger. Verse nine through 12 mentioned some people who had been with Paul. Talked about how Demas ran away. Talked about sending Mark to, to be a faithful servant with him. Now, in these two verses, he's going to address those who actively sought to harm him. In, in, in verse 9, he says, Demas, he ran away because he loves the world. But he says, Alexander sought to harm me. How exactly did Alexander do this? Once again, we're not really sure. We don't get the full story here. Um, this Alexander is probably the one who had worked with Hymenaeus. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, it says, uh, among them and them are, are those that Paul says have shipwrecked their faith. They've rejected the gospel. They've rejected the truth. They've chosen their own way. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. We saw earlier in this letter of 2 Timothy that Hymenaeus was one who was still at his, uh, his heresy, still teaching these lies about the Christian faith. And we don't know the end of Alexander's story. We don't know if he's still teaching heresy, but Paul says, be aware of him. He says, stay on your guard against Alexander's opposition. Okay, in what we've read of 2 Timothy, I don't think Paul was concerned that Timothy, watch out for Alexander, for Timothy's sake. I don't think he was saying, hey, Timothy, protect yourself. Build a little wall around yourself. And when Alexander comes by, duck so he can't see you. I don't think that's the point. I think he wants Timothy to protect himself against Alexander. But I think he wants him to be vigilant, again, in light of everything else we've read in 2 Timothy, wants him to be vigilant for the sake of those in the church who could be easily swayed by the lies and the deception of Alexander. He's concerned about those who could fall to this treachery of deception. This is why he has talked through this whole book. He said, Timothy, teach sound doctrine, right? Timothy, teach sound doctrine and teach sound doctrine to those who can teach sound doctrine. He wants to multiply the truth to protect those who are easily swayed by lies. 
This is why we as a church, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about we as the church much, must teach sound doctrine. This is why we must teach sound doctrine over the rainbows and butterflies, you're all little gods, feel good about yourself, lies that our world is trying to sell us. Lies that have been bought sadly by so many churches that claim to be faithful. And yet, we just want everybody to be happy and feel good. Let's not talk about the hard stuff. Let's not stand on truth. It's sad and let's be honest, it's sickening. We have to stand on the truth. We have to stand on sound doctrine, not to make ourselves better, not to put ourselves up above those people down there who just don't know as well as us. No, we stand on the truth of sound doctrine because as seductive as it can be, false doctrines are lies that destroy those who buy into them. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will always be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction upon themselves. The lies of our culture, the lies of faulty doctrine that works its way into our world, and again, even into the Christian church, will destroy those who buy into them. Why? Because it leads you away from who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ alone can do, and the love, the grace, and the mercy of God over self. Again, we stand on truth not to make ourselves right, not to feel superior, or not to have moral high ground. We stand on truth because it is right and because it continually leads us to Christ and away from the danger of our own proclivities and desires. We must stand on sound doctrine to protect one another from danger. Okay, you ready for this? Because I share this with you every four months. And it's been, it's been a good six months since I've shared this to you, with you, okay? It's the analogy of the decking boards. Anybody roll their eyes groan? Oh, he's gonna talk about this again. Okay. What is sound, why do we want to stand firm in sound doctrine? Because if I take a bunch of decking boards and I build a deck in, 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 on the back of the house and I build the framing and it's great and then I go set the decking boards outside in the backyard and I leave them there all winter and they freeze and they thaw and they get wet and they dry out and they freeze and they thaw and they get wet and they dry out. What do those decking boards look like when I go to try to put them on the deck in the spring? They are warped, they are bent, they are all over the place. Now, what happens if I build the framing and then I take those decking boards and I screw them into that framing right now? What do those boards look like in the spring? Yeah, they may shrink a little bit. They may move a little bit, but they're gonna stay pretty close in place. They're not gonna turn. They're not gonna warp. They're not gonna flip around. Why? Because they're held to the foundation. They're held to the standard. That's what sound doctrine does. When we separate ourselves from sound doctrine, we will warp, we will twist. We will fall into and we will perpetuate heresy. But we come back to sound doctrine. 
sound doctrine that is taught by one another in which we hold each other accountable to the truth of God's word, not the desires of our hearts so that we can stay in place to be exactly who God has created us to be. Listen, do we recognize the importance of the protective power of God's truth in our lives? The faithful flame serves those in need. It protects those in danger. In the next section of his farewell, Paul is gonna call Timothy and, and again, call us, not just to serve those in need and protect those in danger, but to trust the one in control. To trust the one in control. Verses 16 through 18. Paul continues here, says, at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me to safety into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here, Paul says, trust the one in control. He recounts how he was left alone, how everyone deserted him. He was left alone, he says, at his first trial. And this first trial probably refers to the first, um, the, the first part of his current trial. He's probably not looking back to his first imprisonment. He's probably talking about this current imprisonment. And he says, in the first part of this, this trial, Everyone deserted me. And yet, he sees even in that desertion and even in his trial that God was working purposefully. God was defending him. He says, God delivered me to what? Fully preach the word so that all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul knows the end of his life is at hand. He's assuming or seems to at least have a notion that this imprisonment will lead to his execution. And again, church history tells us that, yes, this is what led to his execution. But even knowing the end is near, he continues to trust that God is working purposefully for the kingdom, that God is working purposefully as a proof of his power and his love and his glory. He has a trust even in the difficulty of the situation. If I were to, to leave here today and take my family and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna go on a trip. We're gonna go away for a couple days, but we're getting in the car and we're taking off. I'm like, hey, Aaron, I am exhausted. Like, I'm just beat. Can you drive the first leg? She's like, sure. She'll drive, so I give her the keys. And we drive out of town, I will pass out. I'll be out, I'll sleep. It's peaceful, it's fine. Kids in the back seat, we're good. You think it would be a little different if instead of saying, hey, Aaron, I'm tired, would you drive? Gave her the keys, and then I sat in the passenger seat. If I had said, hey, Emerson, I'm tired, hand her the keys, and then I sat in the passenger seat. 
You think I'd have a little different ride? <laughs> Emerson's a smart kid. She's quick. She's bright. She figured it out quickly. But <laughs> I'm not going to have that same peace. When I trust the one behind the wheel to take care of me, I have a far greater peace, even in the traffic, even in the journey ahead. Hard times will come. Paul's reminded us of that. He's promised us that in this letter. And that's evident. Every single one of us knows this. It's been evident in our lives. It's evident when we look through scripture, when we see the lives of, of Moses and David and the prophets and Paul and Peter. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see hard times will come. See, the truth is we will all suffer. Do we trust the one in control? Because while hard times will come, while we will suffer, in Christ, we are freed from the devastation of suffering. In Christ, we have hope for purpose in this life and security for all of eternity. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says, for this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially for those who believe. He says, we have hope in Christ if we are in Christ. In Christ, we recognize that God is in control. That even in the painful situations of our lives, and listen, I never say this to minimize the pain that you are going through in your life, that you have gone through, that you will go through in your life. There is no way to minimize the feeling of that pain. So I don't say this to say, don't worry about your pain. It's not a big deal. But I say it because it's true from scripture that even in our pain, God is still in control and he is working somehow, some way. And I don't always know how it is and you won't always know how it is, but God is always working to mature and complete our faith and our lives, even through our suffering. So I can't promise you today that, that your suffering won't hurt you. That it won't cause you to have doubts and questions about God's provision in the moment. I can't promise you that you won't wish that something else was happening in your life, anything else was happening in your life. But I can promise you that if you trust Jesus Christ in the storms, he will show you his faithfulness. He will show you his love. He will show you his mercy. He will show you his grace because he is in control. And if we wanna live out our faith in every aspect of our lives, if we wanna be those who serve those in need, who protect those who are in danger, then we must also be those who come back and say, God, I don't always understand what you're doing. And sometimes I don't even like it but I trust you. And we fall back on that trust. 
Listen, are we confident in God's control regardless of our view of the circumstances around us? We trust the one in control. In his final, final, final farewell, these final verses, Paul's gonna show one more charge of the faithful flame. And he shows it in the call to encourage the church. Encourage the church. Verses 19 through 21, he says, meet Prissa and, and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained in Corinth I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Encourage the church. In these, these final words, Paul is reminding Timothy really of one thing. He's reminding Timothy that he's not alone. He's reminding Timothy he's not alone in this work, in this ministry, in this struggle. He gives all of these names. And some you know, some you don't. You may know uh, Prissa, who, who in the book of Acts is called Priscilla, right? Priscilla and Aquila. Some of the other names you may have never even heard before. And we may not be familiar with them, but here's the thing. Timothy is. Timothy knows exactly who Paul is talking about. He knows the work that these people have done. He knows how they've served the kingdom. He probably knows what they've been through, some of the struggles that they've encountered. And he knows that they are working for the kingdom just as he is working for the kingdom. And this is an encouragement to him to know he's not alone. And we all need that encouragement, don't we? It's hard to feel strong when you feel like you're the only one. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, we get the story of, of Elijah on the run. Right? He's just, God has just worked through Elijah to defeat the prophets of Baal. Right? They set up this fire, this altar, all this meat, calling their God to, to, to light on fire and they can't do it. And then Elijah you know, drenches it in water and calls down this just simple prayer and God consumes all this meat and all this stuff. And then Elijah goes through and puts all these false prophets to death. And then when you get into chapter 19, the first couple of verses, it says, and, and, and then the, the, king, the, the queen was after him and he was scared and he ran. And you get down to verse 14 and at verse 14, Elijah has been on the run. He's literally running for his life and he's beat and he's, just spent, and he's alone in the wilderness. And he calls out to God, God, I have been zealous for the Lord, God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. He's exhausted, and he's alone then God responds. In verse 15 and 16, God basically says, okay, go, you're gonna go anoint a couple of, of new kings. But then he says, and you are to anoint Elisha, son of Shephet, 
of Abel, Meholah, as prophet in your place. And when he tells Elisha, Elijah, that he's putting Elijah in his place, he's not saying, okay, you go anoint him and then you're done. Now, if you study the rest of this story, you know what this means is Elijah is going to take Elisha with him. They're going to go together, the two of them. What God is telling Elijah, he says, listen, you are not alone. I know you feel alone. I know the situation looks like you're alone, but you are not alone. Keep going. Get up. I got work for you to do, but no, you're not alone in it. God strengthens Elijah and encourages him in this. Even going as far as to give him an apprentice and a partner. Once again, the Christian faith isn't about you. And here's how this correlates to effective encouragement. Okay, if we are gonna live out that fire of faith within the church body, then we have to know that the Christian faith is not about me. We can never get ourselves in a place where we think that the church is here to build me up. The church is here to support me. This is about me. No, instead, we must remember every step along the way that we are here to, number one, love the Lord, And number two, to love others, to serve others. We are here not to be built up and supported, but we are here to build up others and support others. Now, here's the thing with that, right? Because you go, well, that sounds like a lot of work that I get nothing out of. I'm out. No, 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 no. Because if we're all doing that, guess who's loved and supported and built up? You are. If every single one of us is focused on how we love and serve and meet the needs of others, not about who we are or how other people should view us or how they should just listen to me or any of that stuff, then every single person within the body of Christ has their needs met and is built up, is supported, and is loved. That only happens when my focus is on how I encourage others, how I build them up in Christ. The question is, do our words, do our actions strengthen and encourage those around us? There's nothing special or unique about Paul's conclusion in this letter to Timothy. And yet, in light of the rest of the letter, we see Paul's heart poured out for his son in the faith. We hear these final words, the final words he would ever write to Timothy and maybe the final words Timothy would ever hear from his mentor, Because we don't know if Timothy made it there before winter. This may be the last thing he ever hears from Paul. And so even as we read this, there's kind of this bittersweet edge to it. But it's very clear in these words of Paul's heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for Timothy as his son in the faith, and for the vibrancy in the life of the church. Yeah, he has some needs and he wants Timothy to come come help. 
but his desire is for Timothy to joyfully continue the work at hand, to preach the same gospel that he's preached, to bear the same fire of faithfulness and to love the same church that Paul has loved through his life and through his ministry. Along with Timothy, you and I are urged here to serve those in need, to protect those in danger, to trust the one in control and to constantly encourage the body of Christ. Church family, may our fires shine brightly, burning a glorious faith from the inside out. May it change our hearts as we seek to reflect the grace that God has given to us. Let it change our words as we encourage and build one another up in the Holy Spirit. Let it change our actions as we seek to love one another and to show the love of Christ to the world around us. May the intense fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his love, his grace, his mercy, poured out on us through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the victorious resurrection, and the complete deliverance of the Messiah. May that be seen in us. May that be known through us. May that be felt in us, through us, and from us as we live this out in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this. We thank you for this blessing, this opportunity to, to know you, to love you, to serve you. We thank you that you have called us to be your children and to be your army that carries the gospel forth. And Father, we repent of the ways we have stifled that flame, we have smothered it. We repent of the ways we have made our journey of faith about me, what we can get, what we can feel. And Lord, we thank you that in spite of all of that, you have continued to love us and continue to pour your grace out upon us. We pray now as we prepare to walk into the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to stoke that fire of faith, that it would burn hotter and hotter and brighter and brighter and more and more intense every day of our lives, not because we're good at tending the fire, but Father, because we know the power of who you are, the gospel of Jesus Christ and of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.